0: a seat. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. Get something uh, out that you can take notes with this morning. Hallelujah. It's good to be in church. It is good to be in church. Uh, open up to Genesis chapter 1. P.S. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I love you. <laughs> All of you. Uh, the Langy Bartels had a baby this week, so that's awesome. Buddy, welcome Leo David. They're probably at home right now. Uh, say, happy birthday, Leo. I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it was the other days, one of, one of the days this week, and he's super cute. So That's awesome. Um, also, let's see here. What else can I talk about as you're turning to Genesis 1 and looking for the first page of the Bible? Um, <laughs> I, already heard, I heard this morning of two different, what am I trying to do here, two kids this week who gave their lives to Jesus. So that's awesome, so exciting. Well, one kid this morning before church gives his life to Jesus at home, so exciting. The other one I heard of was, a, I think, a three-year-old at preschool during quiet time by himself, four, four years old. How amazing is that? Four years old, come home. Hey, Mom, I gave my heart to God today during nap time, so <laughs> praise the Lord. I love it. Um, all right, Genesis chapter one, we are continuing biblical formation this morning Somebody act excited for me. My, wife, my wife's at home. She's not in the front row, so I need some extra help today. Um, hey, babe. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> uh, we're continuing biblical formation, which means we're learning from the Bible. How do we repent? From self-centered worldview, how do we be reformed from a self-centered faith? So we are in the, the fourth week of it, but we are officially moving into the section number two. The first three weeks was section one. Now we are in section two. Biblical formation, section two is called humanity. Section one was the universe. Section two is humanity. So biblical formation, humanity, and this morning, the title of our message is, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human as we do part one of humanity? We're going to read a few verses here in Genesis chapter one. So why don't you go ahead and stand up for the reading of the word of God. I know I got you going up and down today, keeping you warm on this seven degree day. And Yeah, everybody's like, ugh. Okay, so we're going to jump a little bit between chapters one and two. We're going to start in verses, uh, verse 26 of chapter one. And then I gotta even check my notes make sure I get these numbers right here. Yep. Okay, 126. Then God said, this is what we picked up after last week. Remember we stopped and you were like, well, what about us on creation? Here we go. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. Why don't you go ahead and turn the page to chapter 2. We made it. Chapter 2. Good job. <laughs> chapter 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. We're going to roll with that. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Come on, Bible. B.D., bedelium, <laughs> and Onyx Stone <laughs> are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And then we made it through. Whew. Go ahead and sit down. A lot of crazy words there. I'm proud of us. We made it to chapter two. Have you ever thought of or been presented with the, the, the thought or, or the question? If you could ask God one question, what would it be? You've been in that situation. I was thinking about this this week and I asked my kids and um, Esme didn't have much to say but she was looking really cute. Uh, Rose spoke up first as usual and I said, Rosie, what would your question be? And she goes, like she was like so excited by the prospect. And her question was, can I have a pet unicorn? (laughs) I was like, that's a good question. And then Smith, I know. I know my question would be, Okay, Smith, go ahead. (laughs) He said, "My question is, can I have a hundred pet dinosaurs?" Like, oh, that sounds familiar. He goes, and my second question is, can you turn me into a dinosaur? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I thought that was awesome. My dad tells me a story. He likes this story of when I was like 11 or 12. He, uh, he, well, no, I asked him this question. Uh, dad, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And he didn't have an answer he was confident in. So he did what a good dad does and flipped it on me. He's like, hmm, good question. What would you say? <laughs> and I kind of thought about it thoughtfully. He said it was thoughtful. I don't remember, but so it was thoughtful. And uh, I said, I, my question would, I think I would just ask God, how am I doing? How am I doing? And, it's funny, I look back on that moment and I'm like, yeah, still the question. <laughs> I think we all know what it's like to have questions, have, have big questions, have questions that are deep down inside of us. I think initially maybe we think about asking God this question, maybe you would ask for your dream fantastic pet. <laughs> but we all, have, we all have these questions deep down inside of us. We may not know we may not always voice these questions and we may not even always know what the questions are but oftentimes if we were to be able to step back and observe our lives i think that we would notice ourselves oftentimes being driven by whatever the question is that is in there who am i how am i doing am i loved am i am i accepted am i good enough do i have enough will i have enough Am I doing a good job? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I doing what I want to be doing? What does somebody else want from me? What does God want from me? What will satisfy me? What am I even looking for? We've all got questions deep down inside of us. And as we continue this journey of biblical formation, we are introduced here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, to some important characters in the biblical story. We are introduced to Humans, we are introduced in Genesis one twenty six to ourselves. We talked last week about the Bible. About the Bible is not a science book; it's a it's a theology book, right? And questions like the question we are dealing with today in our title, questions like this are are some are is one of the questions that that makes me really glad that the Bible is not just a science book. I'm really thankful that the Bible speaks to things bigger than this because the task of defining what it means to be human is not a task that can be completed sufficiently by only using science. The question, what does it mean to be human, cannot be sufficiently answered by any one human discipline. The question, what does it mean to be human, cannot be answered sufficiently by the sum of human disciplines. It cannot be answered by science, or politics, or philosophy, or emotions, or experience, or history, or relationship. None of these things in and of themselves, or even the sum of them, can answer for us the question, I know I'm a human, but what does it, what does it really mean? What does it mean to be human? This reality that nothing that we can come up with can answer this question for us is not something that we can breeze by as we dive into section two of biblical formation. As we we wrestle universally and individually with this question, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be me? We need to understand that humanity is not capable of defining for itself what it means to be human. I want to just underscore this. Humanity is unable to define for itself what it means to be human. And really, this should be outrageously obvious and like shouldn't have to be said, but, but I think it's worth saying. But the reality is, I mean, like, what creation defines itself? The dinner you made last night didn't tell you what it was. (laughs) The car you drive didn't decide it's whatever car it is. The house you live in didn't tell you it was a house. What creation defines itself? Genesis tells us that we are created beings. And therefore it would follow logically that we are subject to our creator. The Bible begins here in, in Genesis 1, it begins giving us this proper paradigm that we ought to have for ourselves, and it develops and repeats this paradigm throughout the rest of the Bible. We, a few weeks ago, read Job 38, the whole chapter, and talked about how it's just one, one of four, one, of a, one chapter of a four-chapter monologue of God making this point, of God making this point. You are created <laughs> You are created, and I am creator." So the Bible continues developing in, in Job. In Isaiah 45 verse 9, the Bible says this: "Does the clay say to him, "Who forms it? What are you making?" Or, "Your work has no handles?" You, you, sorry, you missed a part. Romans 9:20. "But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? God alone is self-defining. God alone is self-defining when it comes to what he is, who he is, how he works, what he chooses to communicate to us about himself and the way through which he chooses to communicate those things. It is fully and completely up to him. He alone is self defining because he alone is uncreated. But what about us? What about us? Who, who are we? What, what, what does it mean? What does it mean to be human? Science, as we study it, as we talk about it, it there's, there's a little bit of an explanation in science. It can classify us biologically with a, a family and a genus and a species. We can, we can do that. But, but that doesn't answer the question for us about what makes humanity unique, what makes human life unique among other forms of life. What, what, what is it that makes human, hu, human life unique among all other forms of life? Or, or it doesn't answer the question, is human life unique? among other, all other forms of life. Is, is human life sacred? Is there something about it that makes it unique from everything else? Is, is human life sacred? And if so, what exactly about it makes it sacred? And, and when does that sacred life begin? What does it mean when that sacred life ends? Many times, the conversation around this question, what does it mean to be human? What is uniquely human? Many times, the conversation revolves around or discusses abilities or potential abilities or attributes that, as far as we can see, are unique to humans. That would make sense. What is it that makes us unique? Well, let's try to find the things that make us unique, and that will be our list, right? So let's compare us as humanity to other forms of life, other things that are alive and try to figure out what is it about us that makes us different? What is it about a human life that makes it different than any other life? And so you may hear things like this, um, conversations about, well, levels of intelligence, uh, reasoning ability, emotions, the ability to commune with God, self-awareness or sentience, languages, a communication ability, the presence of a spirit or a soul or both. What exactly is the difference between the two again? You know? (laughs) The conscience, free will, these are are efforts that we've put forward to try to define what is it that is unique about us. And all of these efforts at nailing down what makes humans unique among creation, these are all efforts, but nothing on this list provides a satisfactory explanation. None, None of these answers are good enough. Their answers we've tried to come up with, but the reality is they don't, they don't work. Because what happens if or when an animal expresses one of these abilities beyond wherever we drew the line they weren't supposed to? Like surely, I'm convinced that right now there's a monkey out there who's smarter than me. I have no doubt about that. Or like at what age did I become smarter than a dolphin? Where, where, where was that line? When did I cross it? Have I crossed the line? What what happens? What happens if a person who who did possess and express one or some of these abilities loses that ability in an accident or, or something happens where something that was on our list that makes a human human that a human was doing now can no longer do that human thing? Are they no? Now what? Now what do we do with that? What? What about before a human has any ability to express or act on any of these abilities? Where's that line? What about in the womb? What about an infant? A toddler? A teenager? An adult? Like, which level of emotional intelligence are we shooting for? You know? Our answer to this big question really, really matters. Really matters. It impacts a lot of things. And science cannot express to us what it means to be human. Humanity cannot capture for the sake of humanity what it means to be human. We who came from something cannot define in and of ourselves what it means to be us. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image and the image of god he created him male and female he created them as created beings we only have identity in reference to our creator And he tells us clearly right here at the beginning of the Bible that to be human is to be made in the image of God. To be human is to be made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God is not a status you earn through any of your abilities. It is the status you are given to you by your creator. Being human is no ability. It is no potential ability It is no attribute, it is a status. It is a status bestowed on you in the very act of your creator making you. In a world obsessed with self, self self-defining, self-exploring, self-actualizing, self-pursuing, self-discovering, God is speaking to you through the Bible this morning that the truest, most authentic, most deeply, think, deeply human thing about you is your longing for God. I' look this way and try that one. God is shouting to you this morning that the truest thing about you. The most deeply authentic, deeply human thing about you is your longing for him. The fact, the very fact that this broad question, what does it mean to be human, is even asked. The very fact that the specific question, what does it mean to be me, is even being asked, is a testimony in and of itself that the deepest need of yours, the deepest need of all of humanity, each and every human, is to know His Creator. Just the fact that you're asking it is the testimony that you're longing for Him, that you need Him in your life, that you need to see His face, that you need to hear His voice. To be human is to image God. To be human is to image God. You can reject it, but you can never undo it because you didn't do it in the first place. You have been his image from the moment you were conceived. And being his image is what makes you who you are. Male and female, you are the image of God. This is what makes you distinct from all other earthly creation. You are not God, but there is something about you that makes you like God in some way. There is nothing partial or incremental about it. It is who you are, completely made in His image, and it is who you will always be. And it's why you know that you know that you know that you need Him. It's why you know, that you know that you want him. You will never know who you really are without first knowing him. You will never know who you really are without first knowing him. You will never know who you really are without first knowing him. So why are we here? Why are we we here? Start answering that question. I think we need to look at chapter 2. And take a closer look at this garden that we're told about. The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden. Everybody familiar with the Garden of Eden? You've heard of this? Just like we need to look at God to know who we are we need to look at God to know why we are here. Us humans that, we're like, that we read about in Genesis 1, not, none of us in this room, but just people in general, we, we have this uncanny ability to take something that God does for him and make it about us. <laughs> and like, we should really learn to try to cut that stuff out. We gotta, we gotta work on that. And uh, I know that's like a little bit blunt and kind of rude and stuff on such a cold day to say something like that. But uh, to demonstrate my point, I want to ask you this. Has anybody ever told you that the Garden of Eden was built as a house for God, not as a house for people? It says it right here. (laughs) In, In the ancient context that God sovereignly chose to Decide the author for his word so that we could read it and know him, and he could communicate to us what he wants to communicate to us about himself. Gardens were not just nice places outside your house where you planted extra flowers so that you could see butterflies. That's not not what a garden was, it just wasn't only what a garden was. In in this ancient context that, that is written, gardens were descriptions of the dwelling places of the gods. It was synonymous that when you were talking about a garden, you were talking about a home for the divine. Genesis 2 is not telling us that God planted a nice garden for Adam to live in. Genesis 2 is telling us that God planted a nice garden for God to live in. I told you in week one of biblical formation that that God's original design of creation, the the God we meet in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. In his original design of creation, there was three unions that he intended. We talked about the first union in week one, the union of the heavens and the earth. God intended for those things to be unified, the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and he created the earth and on earth he planted Eden. This is the first example we see all the way back in Genesis 2 is the first taste we get of the the theme of the kingdom of God on earth. God's introducing it to you here in Genesis chapter 2. Eden was supposed to be his home. His home on earth, the place where the king of creation would reside and rule his kingdom. God didn't ever create the earth so that he could be distant from it. God created the earth so that he could live in it, so that it could be the footstool of his throne. Is this sounding familiar to any Bible readers? And not only that, but he was creating it as a place where the second intended union would be rooted, the union of God and humanity. First, the union of the heavens and the earth. The second union God intended was the union between God and humanity. And he demonstrates to us it demonstrates that to us in his planting of this garden called Eden, the garden of God, where he put the man. In week one, we talked about how God did not have to create the heavenly host. He didn't have to create the heavenly host so that he could use them to partner with him to administrate his kingdom in the heavens. He didn't have to do it, but he chose to. It's how God chose to do things in the heavens. In the same way, God did not have to create humanity. God did not have to create humanity to partner with him in the administration of his kingdom on earth, but he chose to. He chose to do that. And Eden, Genesis 2 tells us, Eden was not the whole earth. Eden was just a garden placed somewhere on the earth Eden was God's temple on the earth. Eden was God's temple on the earth and man was made to live with him in that temple. Humanity was mandated from the very beginning to live in this temple and then go out from this temple and make the whole earth like the temple. Make the whole earth like this garden. Make the whole earth like the dwelling place of God. Sounding familiar to any Bible readers? He's introducing you to the whole story here right at the very beginning. The whole world needs to be like God's home. He could do the job himself, but he chose to create human imagers to do it with him. The Bible tells us that to be human is to be the image of God. And the Bible tells us that the purpose of being the image of God is to make the whole earth like Eden. From the very beginning, God's image gives us our identity and God's presence gives us our purpose. I've been trying to help us see as we read through Genesis 1 and now into Genesis 2 that these aren't just disconnected chapters at the very beginning of the Bible that tell us a few things about the beginning of everything, but it's actually the introduction to all of God and the story of God that unfolds throughout the whole Bible. And everything we're talking about this morning, it's not just related to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. As we've said, it matters what God's answer is to the question, what does it mean to be human? It matters what God's answer to the question is, to the, what God's answer to the question of why is humanity even here. It matters, and he introduces us to those answers here and develops them through the rest of scriptures. This idea that God created us in his image so that we could be unified with him in his presence, so that we could take his presence and spread his kingdom everywhere that we go, which starts in Eden. It starts in Eden and it carries out through the rest of the Old Testament as you begin to read about the people of God. And every time there's the people of God, God consistently talks to them often and and tries to help them out with these tents or tabernacles or temples. He seems to be obsessed with this idea, not only of having his people, but his people creating a place for him to dwell. He seems to be obsessed with this idea of partnering with humans and dwelling with them, of of them having a place for him to sit, not so that it would be exclusive, but God has this thing where he wants to sit on the earth and rule his kingdom and draw all the nations to himself. From tents to tabernacles to temples, God is commanding his people to build him a dwelling place. A dwelling place on earth for the sake of the earth. And it leads all the way into the New Testament where we see Jesus begin from the start to talk about the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. The perfect human in perfect partnership with the Father. The exact imprint of His nature Standing in the temple, in John chapter 2, among the religious leaders, and they asked this man, Jesus, give us a sign that you are who you say that you are. Give us a sign that you really are who you say you are. And this is Jesus' answer. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. You see the theme he's hitting on. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. And the Jews said to him, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. A self-centered worldview tells us that we define ourselves instead of God defining us. And When we have this self-centered worldview, we, we get centered around my destiny, my best life, my preferences, my identity, my dreams. But I want you to hear me this morning that yourself is not capable of defining itself. You are not capable of defining you. It is only when you know your creator that you begin to learn who you are. It is only when you know your creator that you begin to learn who you are. And a self-centered faith tells us that God is here for us instead of us being here for God. We run after, we strive after, we obsess after my gifts, my calling, my purpose, my personal relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you this morning that you didn't get saved so that you could be you? You got saved from you? He didn't come to make you better. He came to raise you from the dead. Your entire calling is to know him and love him and love others. You are gifted absolutely for the sole purpose of strengthening the body, not to pursue your dreams. God does not exist to prop up my best spiritual life. I have been given a brand new life so that I can serve him and so that I can know I am now a Christian before anything else, before my skin color, my gender, my sexuality, my bank account, my position in church, my followers on TikTok, I exist to be His. Do you wanna know what you're gifted at? Do you really wanna know? If you really wanna know what you're gifted at, start asking the body of Christ. Start asking other people in the body of Christ, what is it about me that helps you be a stronger you? that's why I exist I am here to make you better what is it about me that makes you better just start asking people that you spend time around ask people on church at church in your life group ask people what makes what about me makes you a better you if nobody has an answer for you you're not serving the body enough so all you need to do for the next year I'm, this, I'm being so practical some of you are thinking like, oh it's hypothetical I'm like, no I'm serious if you really want to know what you're gifted at for the next calendar year between now and next Valentine's Day super prioritize in your life just getting around and serving the body of Christ in whatever way is needed right in front of you and starting next Valentine's Day start asking the people that you spent the last year around what is it about me that helps you be better and I promise you you will get more clarity than you ever thought you could ever have some of the ways God's gifted you. It's really simple. I'm like, I'm not angry. I'm like, no, seriously. It's it's a really great way to get a really great answer. You want to know what you need to grow in? You don't necessarily need to go get alone with a journal to learn what you need to grow in. A lot of times, the way we need to know what we need to grow in, we do need to ask God this question. One of the best ways to ask God this question is to ask his body ask his people, ask his body that you're a part of. If you want to find out quickly and clearly and lovingly what you need to grow in, start asking the people around you with humility and with honesty, hey, what do you think I need to grow in? Invite it. What do you think I need to grow in? If nobody has an answer for you, you might need to go back and double check that everybody feels safe enough being honest with you. Or you haven't just been around and you're either not around enough and people don't know that you're actually really do want to know. So if you want to know what you need to grow in, just get into the house of God. Ride the river for a little while. Give it a year. Just, just go where we go. Follow where we lead. Get around the body of Christ. Start building friendships. And next Valentine's Day, start asking, That's the same word as He will abode in you. You will be the house of God. We are not orphans without a home. We are adopted by the Holy Spirit, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And we are now citizens of a heavenly kingdom, seated with Him in those heavenly places. We are now co heirs. We are ambassadors of His great kingdom. We are His apostles on the earth. We have Died and been raised to live a brand new life. No more tense. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We partake of his very body and his blood and the bread and in the cup. We are his body that you have been baptized into. We are the church. That's who we are. And just like in the beginning, we have been commissioned. We have been commissioned to take his presence to the world so that everyone might be reconciled to him. I want you to stand as we close this morning. I'm gonna have our prayer team come on up to the front. And my invitation to you this morning is simply fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Trust him with your questions. Trust him with your questions. And if you're searching for answers that you can't get, I'm learning in my life. One of the best first steps is to see if I'm asking the right person the right question. God, what question are you?